Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about what Jesus said about prayer. This is lesson five. Last week we skipped this because of uh, Independence Day. We talked about obtaining and maintaining freedom. But tonight we're going to continue our study on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, just for those of you who weren't here, we'll give a quick review. Fast one, but let's look at the verses first. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And this is a response to them asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. So it comes from the master himself. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And how many of you know he said that after he said, don't pray vain repetitions? Didn't he say that? So the prayer is not to be prayed in vain repetitions. That's what he told us. And so what it really is, is a prayer that we could say that reveals prayer principles. So we need to view it that way. It's a model prayer. And we talk about, we talked about six prayer principles, actually five, if you want to say it this way, there's praise at the beginning and praise at the end, but the one at the end is with thanksgiving, but it's praise. It starts with praise. So Jesus said, when you pray, start with praise like we did here tonight. Isn't it wonderful just to get into his presence and just praise him for a while and honor him because he inhabits the what? Praises of his people. You know, when you praise him before the throne, trust me, no other people group has ever had the privilege of getting before the actual throne of God. We have the access of the blood of the lamb to get before the throne and to praise him. Praise God. So we praise him, but we praise him by saying our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, it's intimate. Which art in heaven, you're above all, know all, see all. You're in the highest place of the universe. You've got the best vision over what's going on. What a vantage point that he has, right? So he sees it all. He knows it all. And we're appealing to him. That's a pretty good power, wouldn't you say? Hallowed be thy name. We talked about how his name is to be honored as holy. His name is to be reverenced by the people, not used in any derogatory way. Don't take my name in vain, he said. You know, the first four commandments talk about our relationship with him, so don't use my name in vain. And then the next section we see is after he says, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we call those the principles of prayer, of, of petition. We petition him starting here. It's the will of God that we want to establish in earth as it is in heaven. It's the principle of petition. All petitions have to be involving the will of God. For example, in 1 John 5, what are we told? This is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petition we desire of him. And so in other words, our petitions that go before the throne must be in line with his will 
And we discover his will through the word. It's his will that all men be saved. So you can petition him for salvation. It's his will for all men to be healed. So we petition him for healing. It's his will that all men uh, be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. So we petition him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, won't your father give you the Holy Ghost if you ask him? Absolutely. We petition him for that. So we understand it's the will of God to meet our needs. So we ask him. That's his will. We ask him for strength. We know that's his will. And so we petition him for our, his will to be done to give us strength in this life. So the petition that we have must align with the will of God. And then next, he said, give us this day our daily bread. That's the petition of provision. Notice it's daily. What does that mean? That when he's talking about this prayer, he's talking about incorporate this into your daily life. You get up in the morning and say, you're my father. And father, I know that you're in the highest place in the universe. Praise God. And I reverence your holy name today. I honor your holy name. It is holy. Until your kingdom comes, I'm here on this earth to establish your will to be done in my life and through my life and in the lives of all those I come into contact with today. Father, I need a lot today. Every single day, don't you need air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, a roof over your head, clothes to wear, etc., etc.? That's petitioning Him for our daily bread. But it's not just physical, it's also spiritual. Give me a word, praise God, a daily word. Give me a word from above that will set the course of my life for today. Get into your Bible, maybe study a little bit, and just the Word of God will just rise up from off that page and feed your spirit. So, Whatever it might be, strength that you might need. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46 and verse 1. Be still and know that I'm God, for Psalm 46 and verse 10. He might be saying to you, it's time to calm down. Be still. I'm God. You're my child. You got it made. You got it made. You got the king of glory on your side, right? It's pretty good to know that, isn't it? So what are you so worried about? Calm down. Amen. Take no thought for your life. What you're going to eat, drink, what you're going to put on, what you're going to wear. Your father will take care of you. So be at peace. Amen. And then there's the principle of pardon. After give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now we're going to discuss that tonight. But that's the principle of pardon. And lead us not into temptation. That's a principle of protection. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's a principle of praise and thanksgiving with power. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to talk about the principle of pardon. Not praden, but pardon. <laughs> it's pardon, not praden. You can look over these things a hundred times and there's always something that just escapes your eyes. Your eyes, I think, play a trick on you, don't you? Amen. But I've seen this in all kinds of books, articles, newspapers, and magazines, and all that. Everybody makes mistakes. So <laughs> make that pardon, not praden. Look at verses 12 through 15. Let's read those verses again, and we'll add verses uh, 14 and 15. This is how important this really is. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But then look at verse 14 and 15. He goes back to the forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, 
neither will your Father in, which is in heaven, Father forgive you your trespasses. Would you say that's important to know? What, isn't that an important principle, wouldn't you say? Okay, so we want to talk about that tonight because it's extremely important. But let's start with definitions, first of all. Forgive. It means to release. It means to set free. It means to pardon. I mean, pardon. <laughs> right? To release. It means to set free. To liberate. It means to pardon. So he's saying that if you forgive men, if you release them of their debts, if you pardon them, whatever it is that they owe you, then your Father which is in heaven will release you and forgive you and pardon you. But if you don't, then your Father which is in heaven is not going to release. He is not going to set free and pardon you. Then look at the next word, debt. The word debt. The word debt that's used here is used twice in the New Testament here in Matthew 18. Uh, but this word here, it means alone impossible to repay a loan that's impossible to pay and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to Matthew 18 but then there's other word another word that's translated debts also and it's used many times in the New Testament and it means a debt that's possible to pay how many of you would buy a house that you'd have to pay um, $500,000 a month that wouldn't be a debt that's possible for you to pay. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Right? But you do buy an automobile and you have a payment that you're comfortable with and you can pay it because your you know, income that's coming in enables you to pay the debt. So that's a debt that's possible to pay. So we all have debts that are possible to pay, but also there's a debt that's impossible for us to pay, period. And that's what he's talking about. It's up to us to recognize something that God has done for us. And that is he paid a debt. That's impossible for us to pay. That's forgiveness. He released us. He pardoned us. He set us free from this debt. Forgiveness. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 7 and 8. This forgiveness was freely given to us by God through Jesus Christ. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received freely give. Have you received forgiveness from the Lord? And you received it freely. You didn't earn it, in other words. It was freely given to you. So freely it was given to you. So what are we supposed to do? Freely give it to someone else. Freely offer forgiveness to other people with the understanding that it was freely offered to us. Now, we can't earn God's forgiveness. That's impossible. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness. It was freely given to us. If we think we have to earn God's forgiveness, then we'll be of the mindset that other people have to earn our forgiveness. But you know what? We're supposed to forgive them freely, just as we've been freely forgiven. They don't have to earn our forgiveness. We have to forgive them based on the fact that we've been freely forgiven by the Lord God. There's a word that some know, maybe some don't. It's called penance. You ever heard that word before? And it's self-punishment as an expression of repentance. To earn 
forgiveness from God. Now, I was reared up in a religion that taught me that from a young age. And it was my responsibility to, supposed to do it once a week at least, confess my sins, and then I would receive instruction as to how to earn God's forgiveness. I would be told to go and pray these, this prayer five times, pray that prayer five times, and then go home and help your parents do this or that. And this happened for 24 years of my life. So you can develop some habits in a 24-year period. Wouldn't you agree with me? And so for 24 years, here I am instructed thinking that this is the right thing to do. I confess my sin to someone, and that someone tells me do this and do this, and then do that, and then, you know, you're forgiven. You've earned your forgiveness from God. And I thought that was, again, the right thing to do. Well, I found out now that I've been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, that's not the right thing to do. And what that did was deprogram, it, repro it programmed me a wrong way that I had to be deprogrammed from. I can't earn God's forgiveness. Without realizing it, it's a slap in the face to our Father God and to the Lord Jesus Christ to think there's something that I can possibly do on my own. But you know what? I'll tell you what it did. It made me feel better about myself when I did something to earn it. My conscience then was cleansed and clear because I did something. Now, if I was told, go dig a ditch and you'll be forgiven, I'll go dig a ditch. Go help somebody do this and I would go help them and I would be forgiven. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, we can't earn God's forgiveness. Penance is self Notice, self-imposed. Self-imposed. We do it to ourselves or someone else tells us to do it. And as a result, we think that we did the right thing and we're forgiven now. Well, in Romans chapter 4, look at this. Thank God we don't have to punish ourselves. And thank God it's not based on works. But in Romans, look at these two scriptures we're going to point out here. Romans chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted. Everybody say counted. Counted unto him for righteousness. So it was something that he believed, not something that he did that counted for him to be righteous or called righteous. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. To wit or to make it known that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing. Everybody say the word imputing. Their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Abraham did not work for forgiveness. He didn't work for righteousness. 
He believed for righteousness. And because he believed for righteousness, it was counted or accounted for him as being righteous. Here, it says imputing, to impute. It's like this. You have a bank account. Do you make deposits? And do you make withdrawals? We're supposed to, as ambassadors for Christ, tell people of the world, God has made a withdrawal from your account. In your account, you were marked as a sinner with a sin-sick soul who could not save yourself. But God reconciled you to himself by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he made a withdrawal from your account of your sin and made a deposit of the righteousness of Christ to your account. And so based on what he did, not what you did, he's accounted you as being righteous. He's imputed you for righteousness. That's pretty good stuff. Wouldn't you agree? So it's not based on what Abraham did. It's not based on what you do or what I do. It's all based on what Christ did. And based on his becoming sin for us, we've become the righteousness of God in him. So it's gone. Man, when one believes, he's counted. These are accounting terms. Imputed. Counted. Accounted. It's accounted for you as righteous. Look in the book of Galatians. And chapter 3, look at verse 6. Thank God for what Jesus did for us. Even as Adam believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this is the argument of Paul in this third chapter. They wanted to go back under the law and do all these works. He said, no, 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 no. It's not based on works. Abraham was not accounted righteous before God based on works, but based on belief. It's what he believed, not what he did. And so when a person accepts Christ as Savior and says, I believe on his works, not mine, he's accounted as righteous before God. As a matter of fact, when God picks up the record of your account, think about this. If he has a filing cabinet somewhere with everybody's account, listed and he pulls out your record all he sees is paid in full declared righteous Whew. that's all he sees there's no sin there that's been withdrawn oh I see okay right there was a there was a withdrawal right here I see it right now it was a withdrawal computer wasn't working too well today, but I see it right now. Praise God. There's a withdrawal made and sin has been withdrawn and righteousness has been deposited and your sin debt is paid in full. You freely have received, praise God. Now freely give. Mm. I want you to see something about sprinkling and shedding of blood. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. 13 and 14 and then we're going to jump over to 21 22. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience 
from dead works. Notice the language here. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Then look at verses 21 and 22. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so we, hear, we see here that Jesus shed his blood for us. And the blood that was shed is also sprinkled. And as a result of the shedding of his blood and the sprinkling of his blood, the sin debt has been paid in full. But it's up to us to recognize that his blood that was shed for us is the same blood that cleanses us whenever we as believers miss the mark and sin in our lives. Now remember the prayer is a daily prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does that mean? Does that mean that when it comes to our petitions, it's possibility that we might need forgiveness today? Do you need forgiveness once in a while? Anybody here ever need forgiveness once in a while? You've missed the mark in your Christian life and experience. Mm -hmm. We all have, haven't we? Well, he shed his blood to cleanse us from all sin. And when you sin or when I sin, what happens is our spirit by the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin. We go right here. We have this gut feeling. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have acted like that. Shouldn't have done that. Sometimes don't you want to just knock yourself and just say, now why'd you do that? Right? Why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? You shouldn't have said that. Over the years, you can learn that you don't say that to your wife. Right? You know better. <laughs> but the point is, it's the Holy Spirit living in us, in our spirit, that enables us to be convicted of sin. If your heart condemns you, you're, then God's greater than your heart. If your heart condemns you not, praise God, thank God, then, then you have confidence toward God. So there's a conviction that comes out of our spirit that tells us, look, this was wrong. Let's get this thing dealt with. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But it is the devil who condemns us. And when the devil condemns people of their sin, and now they war with getting forgiveness. And they war with even forgiving themselves. And when people war with forgiving themselves, they have a difficult time sometimes forgiving other people. So it's important that we recognize the fact that we've been freely forgiven and we have to freely forgive other people. And if our conscience holds us guilty because we've done something wrong, there is this other aspect of the blood of sprinkling, praise God, thank God, that that blood will continue to cleanse us from all sin. And I know there's this big teaching going around about, really, it's, I call it excessive extreme grace. Thank God for the grace of God. Our sins have been provided for, past, present, and future. Notice provided for. It doesn't mean that they don't exist. It's up to us to get them under the blood. And so look at 1 John 1, 9, as what it says. If we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is like the blood of sprinkling. When I confess my sin and I say, I identify, confess actually means to identify yourself with your sin. Don't say the devil made me do it. Don't say your wife made you do it for many reasons. Don't say someone else made me do it. 
Man, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't have done this. No, take responsibility for yourself and say, you know what, Lord, I missed the mark. I've sinned. And as a result, I realize I'm wrong. And so therefore, I identify myself with my sin. But I thank you that you're faithful to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, release me, set me free, pardon me from my sin. And cleanse me, a twofold work from all unrighteousness. Cleanse me, in other words, from any kind of retribution. Thank God, not only am I forgiven, but also the consequence is also taken care of. It's like uprooting it. You remember where he talked about in James that if you let sin run its course, what's going to happen? If you let sin run its course, it brings forth death or destruction. So in other words, nip it in the bud, uproot it before it produces anything like that. The root of bitterness will spring up and defile people. It'll poison a person's system. So bitterness and unforgiveness is something that the enemy wants to use to target people's lives so that they are held under guilt, condemnation, etc. Because he knows he's got them. But when we understand we've been freely forgiven, praise God, I'll tell you what, it makes a difference as to how you live your life. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 10. A clear conscience is achieved by the sprinkling of blood. Remember when he said, come before the throne of God with a clear heart, with a pure heart, in full assurance of God, your conscience clean and cleansed and clear before God. That's the, the blood of sprinkling that enables us to have a clear, clean conscience before God. If we don't have that, then we're going to serve God out of dead works. A dead work is thinking that there's something I have to do to relieve all this guilt and condemnation from my life. Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put their laws into their hearts. In their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities, does it say, will I forget? No. It says, will I remember? no more. You know, God chooses not to remember your sin. He chooses not to remember it. I know you love that, don't you? Come on. Do you love that? He doesn't remember that you sinned yesterday because he chooses not to remember. Okay? Not that he didn't have the ability to remember. Not that he forgot it like we can forget. But he chooses not to remember your sin. Have you ever, you ever heard someone say, yeah, I forgive them, but I'm not going to forget. Come on. I forgive, but I can't forget. Wait a minute. Do you remember something that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, somewhere around 31, 32? 31, I think, some in that area. That we're supposed to forgive even as we've been forgiven. Right? That means we're supposed to choose not to remember what someone did, how someone wronged us. Because if we choose to belabor that and think about that and think about that, we're playing right into the hands of the enemy. We choose to put that thing in a sea of forgetfulness, meaning I choose not to remember what they did to me. And you know, when you see that person and you know what they did to you, 
it's going to be a challenge because you're going to have those feelings rise up and you know what you're supposed to do? I choose not to remember. I choose to release. I choose to set free. I choose to pardon that person. I'm not holding them accountable. You know why? I'm not attributing it to their account. I'm not depositing it into their account. I'm withdrawing it. They owe me nothing. Praise God. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiving them. Now, forgiving our debtors. Let's go to Matthew 18. This is the, I call it the Matthew 18 principle, that whole thing there. But we'll just pick it up at this part right here. Read through these verses and then comment on some of the individual verses. Look at Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive? Release, set free, and pardon him. Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee. Until seven times, but until 70 times seven. You know your math? That's 490 times. Let me ask you a question. How well do you know Peter? How well do you really know Peter? Wasn't Peter that feisty one? At this point, he wasn't born again yet. You realize that. I can just see him like, okay, Lord. How many times before I could knock his block off? Stop at seven. And when I get to eight, I can just tear into him. Just beat the tar out of him. And Jesus says, oh, no, Peter. No, no, no. Uh, 490 times. Oh, come on, Lord. Really? Oh, man. And that was a principle from the Old, Cup, Old Testament. We won't look at, that, look at that, but it was a principle. Seven seventies, seven times 70, 490 times. Oh, well, that just shut him down, didn't it? Sure. All right, let's read on. Jesus goes on and says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now in my Bible, the amount I have listed here is $52,800,000. So just keep that in your mind. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed or released him or set him free or parted him and forgave him his what? His loan impossible to pay. This is a loan that's impossible to pay. $52 million to pay back based on a salary of $4 a day. I kind of figured that out. It would have taken him 35,000 years. Would you say that's impossible? He'd have to live and work. Unless he got some raises, we'll reduce it to maybe 30,000. I don't know. But you get the point. It's impossible for him to pay that debt. So keep that in mind. 
52 million dollars impossible for this man based on his wages to pay back that debt in his lifetime and for 35,000 years if he paid him back four dollars a day for 35,000 years he'd pay back the debt well we know he's not going to live for 35,000 years right all right but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence 15 to 25 bucks and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying pay me that thou owest and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying have patience with me and I will pay thee all and he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the what debt or the loan that's possible to pay because if he made four dollars a day and only owed 15 to 20 dollars 25 dollars isn't that possible at some point to pay that debt so this is a debt that's possible to pay and he was forgiving a debt that was impossible to pay so when his fellow servants saw that was what was done they were very sorry and came out and told unto, unto the Lord all that was done then his Lord's after that he had called him said unto him O thou wicked servant I forgave thee all that debt that was impossible for you to pay because you desired me shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as look at those two words I had pity on thee and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors that till he should pay all that was due him wow pretty strong words wouldn't you say all right in verse 27 that debt is a loan that's impossible to pay it's the sum of 52 million dollars and based on his wages he couldn't do it in verse 30 the debt is a loan that could be paid that's possible a debt to pay and then 34 and 35 unforgiveness can lead into torment lead one into bondage beloved let me share this with you the enemy wants to get people bitter and unforgiving he wants to keep people's conscience seared he wants to make people think that it's okay for you to have an attitude because someone did this to you and so therefore I'm just not going to talk to them I'm not even going in any way am I going to interact with them you know and just be unkind, bitter, unforgiving, etc., etc. But you know, that's one main reason why many of God's children get into bondage and torment by the enemy. Because they don't forgive. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us. This is a daily thing. It's a daily prayer. Forgive me today. Forgive me. As I forgive others so if I don't forgive others he says I'm not forgiving you I'm not releasing you I'm not setting you free so it's so important for us to recognize that this is a principle of this Lord's prayer that is so meaningful to all of us we've been forgiven the 52 million dollar debt we need to choose to forgive other people 
release other people, pardon other people, set free other people as an act of our will, not based on our feelings or emotions. And all the more when the enemy tries to stir things up within us to bring back to our remembrance, we've got to remember it's a choice that we make. I chose to forgive you. And some people feel, well, I don't feel like I've forgiven them. Feeling has nothing to do with it. It's a decision. It's a choice. I choose to forgive that person. I refuse to bring it up again. I'm not going to hold anybody accountable as far as I'm concerned. I release any animosity, any unforgiveness, any bitterness, etc., any, any of it. Because I refuse to be tormented by the enemy. Are turned over to the tormentor for any reason to put me in bondage and put at risk anything in my life, my family's life, and my children's lives, etc. Refuse to do it. Now look at this. Look at this in Matthew 27. You're going to recognize this very easily. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, which is called Christ. Look at the next verse. That's not right. <laughs> it's supposed to be in that same chapter. Verse 21 through 26. 27 verses 21 through 26. We know who they chose, right? But let's read these verses first. Barabbas was a criminal. So were others that were there with Jesus. You know the ones that went to the cross. There were two that went to the cross, right? And Jesus. So you can say that there's four people. There's Barabbas, the two others that were crucified, and Jesus, four people. Letter there. Well, the governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's put this into context here. This Barabbas was not just a thief like the others were. He was a murderer as well. His punishment was crucifixion for the crimes that he had committed. So let's kind of put it in like in our era rather than being back then. Can you see Barabbas in a jail cell on death row? Can you just see him on the day that he is to die? Maybe somebody came in and said, you know, what's your last meal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Before all this, 
Then all of a sudden, the governor of the state comes and walks down the corridor into his jail cell, opens up the jail cell door, and releases him and says, Barabbas, you're free to go. What? I'm supposed to die today. And the governor says, Jesus is dying for you. You're free to go. You're released. Think about that. You know, he's doing that today. He's died for every criminal. He's died for every murderer. He's died for every rapist. He's died for anyone and everyone who has breath, whoever had breath, who has breath, whoever will breathe. Jesus took your place. He took my place. We owed a $52 million loan impossible for us to pay. But Jesus paid the debt for us in full. And our sin debt was withdrawn from our account. We've been released. We've been set free. We've been pardoned by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now, freely we've been forgiven. Freely we are to forgive others. With no expectations of anything. When they change, I'll forgive them. They can't change until they get forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ as well. And you know what? When you got forgiven, that's what caused you to change. That's what caused me to change, right? Those changes have taken place in us because we've been forgiven. So let's forgive them and ask God to Send some laborers across their path to open up their eyes. Don't hold them. Remember what Peter, what, what um, Philip said? Stephen said, I'm sorry. One is being stoned to death. Lay not this sin to their charge. Don't hold them accountable for this sin while he's dying. What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Taking his life, taking both of their lives. And so what are we supposed to do? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in conclusion, this prayer, in this prayer of, once again, pardon, it's a principle of pardon, is this. We've been freely forgiven by God of a sin debt or a loan that we could never repay God for. As a result, it's up to us to live our lives daily in such a way so as to forgive others of the debts they have toward us. That's even possible for them to pay. Forgive them. Don't hold them accountable. Release them. Let them go free. And this is a daily need that we all have. So thank God that we've been forgiven. Thank God we have this potential and capacity to forgive as he has forgiven us. So don't let the devil get you caught up into sin, guilt, condemnation and make you think less of yourself because you've missed the mark when all you got to do is get sprinkled under the blood of Jesus Christ and ask his forgiveness and cleansing from the unrighteousness. And just as quickly as he releases you daily on a day by day basis, praise God, you release others that have wronged you in any way. Amen. And it opens up the door to God's mercies. As a matter of fact, we are told in the book of Psalms under the merciful, he will show himself merciful. So let's all stand together and let's be merciful.